0: Hello and welcome. You're listening to EPIC Podcast, Emergency Preparedness in Canada. My name's Joshua. And I'm Grayson. And this
1: is episode 32, Thoughts from DemCon, a conference review episode.
0: In this episode, we're very excited to hear about the 2019 Ontario Disaster and Emergency Management Conference from our very first EPIC correspondent, Taylor
1: Kidmill. Milne. We've also selected excerpts from two of the featured DemCon speakers, Vincent Davis and Magna Sozeki, who nicely frame the always pertinent EM questions. Who are we and how do we demonstrate the value of emergency management to those we serve?
0: All this and more on this episode of Epic Podcast, current, relevant, Canadian.
1: Of all the EM conferences held in Canada, there are a few that really stick out for me. And one of those has to be DemCon. The Ontario Disaster and Emergency Management Conference, which used to be WCDM, the World Conference on Disaster Management, before being uh, split into DemCon and continuity and resilience today, was held in Toronto earlier this month. And by all accounts, it was a great one.
0: Yeah, and this particular conference was also very special for us because while Josh and I were sadly unable to attend, it was the first time we've been able to send an EPIC correspondent or delegate. So York University student and future disaster manager, Taylor Kidmillen was kind enough to volunteer to represent EPIC podcast at DemCon and joins us today to talk about the conference. Taylor, thank you so much. And how was the conference?
2: Thank you so much for sending me to the DemCon conference this year. I really had an amazing time. Um, The speakers were so great and uh, the networking aspect to the conference was amazing as well. I got to see so many new faces and a few old faces as well um, from the conference.
1: Yeah, I had the good fortune of attending last year. A really great meeting and one of the top EM conferences in Canada, I think. What were some of the big takeaways from this year, Taylor?
2: Um some of the like main themes I pulled out from all the different talks this year um number 1 being collaboration um less of a top down approach more of a reaching out to different many different organizations just beyond just the government or municipality but reaching into the communities as well and getting their feedback and um their valuable information about uh their areas and also another thing that they touched upon as well was how can private business and industry also be engaged in emergency management? The second theme I think I would have pulled from this conference um, was communication. I know it's a classic takeaway from um, emergency management, but when it comes back down is good communication is key and um, it can really save lives in the end. We saw that in speakers like uh, Sherry Sink who came to speak.
0: Sherry Fink has got to be one of my top disaster heroes out there. Could you tell us more about her talk?
2: She was an amazing speaker and like very touching. Her stories were incredibly sad at moments. I I noticed a lot of people in the crowd fighting back tears as she um, talked about the hurricane Harvey victim or one of particular hurricane Harvey victim, that medical response and just how we um, triage different patients. She also um, opened a perspective to ethics and disaster as well. Um, The first part of her uh, talk focused on Hurricane Katrina. And for me, um, I had always known little bits of Hurricane Katrina, but she really brought it together for me about some of the ethical issues that were really faced.
0: So it sounds like there were some really great talks and there were some other amazing speakers there. Uh, some of the other keynotes, Jim Montgomery talking about the Ottawa 2018 tornadoes and Melissa Jenneru talking about the lac megantic disaster, uh, the five years on. But I understand you managed to get a couple of interviews as well. Who did you get a chance to talk to?
2: The first interview I had was with Vincent Davis, and he was able to provide a lot of insight into how private industry can really be leveraged to help in emergencies. This was a talk that I was really excited about. Um, I even asked him a little bit about how me in the future could um, use this as someone who's looking to go for emergency management at a private company. So he was able to give me a few pointers in the interview.
0: Well, let's take a quick little listen to an excerpt from that interview with Vincent Davis from his talk entitled, Full Speed Ahead, Navigating the Complexities of Corporate Emergency Management.
3: My name is Vince Davis. I'm the corporate manager for Workplace Resilience for Amazon Corporation, and I'm also the founder and president of my own consulting organization called Preparedness Matters.
4: Thank you so much for joining us today on the EPIC podcast. We're here at DemCon, and since you're here to talk about EM in the corporate setting, what do you think are some of the key differences or similarities in the role of emergency manager in a private sector compared to the public sector?
3: Uh, One of the major uh, differences is that in the public sector, emergency management is pretty clearly defined. On the private sector side, it's not so clear. One of the major differences in the private sector is that emergency management is fairly new to private sector companies. Therefore, there's not really a defined role for an emergency manager in many cases, and it all depends on the company's culture and what their focus is in terms of how they handle emergencies.
4: What are some of the tips and tricks that you've picked up in demonstrating the value of emergency preparedness within this setting?
3: Well, one of the things that I've learned, uh, first and foremost, is you have to be sort of a chameleon. One of the tricks that I've learned is to cleverly disguise some of the major principles of emergency management so that they fit into the corporate culture in a way that makes your stakeholders comfortable with what you're doing and what you're saying. For example, incident command systems is not something that's immensely popular in corporations simply because they don't understand it. It's not what they do. So I think being able to take those principles that that we've learned as emergency managers and sort of disguise them but not abandon them in terms of knowing that these are best practices for how emergencies should be handled. One of the questions that I get on a regular basis as I go in to talk to stakeholders in corporate uh, situations is so what do you do? And I say, "Well, I'm the workplace resilience manager." Well, I think that it's important for us as emergency managers to, again, be clear about defining ourselves. When you think about a police officer, uh, you, you know exactly what they do. When they say, I'm law enforcement, you understand clearly what they do. But when you say, I'm an emergency manager, most people look at you with this quizzical look that says, so what is that? For sure. so, mm-hmm. so I think it's a teachable moment. Uh, and I use that teachable moment to explain to them exactly what an emergency manager does. Again, the lines are very blurry in corporations between emergency managers, business continuity managers, crisis managers, and others who, who really uh, overlap in some cases in terms of their, their work. So I think it's very clear or it's very uh, important for us as emergency managers to use those opportunities to be clear about what, what our role is, what we do, and what we bring to the table Because there are some very uh, um, stark and and, and certain very important important differences between uh, us, for example, and business continuity.
4: Just before you go, I was wondering if there was any advice that you can share for new emergency managers like me potentially with an eye on the private sector?
3: Absolutely. My best advice that I give to everybody that's thinking of a career uh, in the private sector is to uh, get in where you fit in. Mm -hmm. Uh, In other words, when you go out to apply for positions, for example, in the private sector, they're not always going to be clear about what they want. Uh, Most HR managers uh, in companies don't even understand what an emergency manager is. So therefore, they may advertise a position, for example, as business continuity. But if you dig deeper into the job description, you'll see that it's really what they're looking for as an emergency manager. So you have to be kind of a detective mm-hmm. when you're looking for physicians, and you have to really study those position descriptions and talk to as many people as you can to understand that what they may think is business continuity or crisis management is actually emergency management. And therefore, when you go into that interview process, you may be applying for a position title but understanding that what they're really looking for is your skill set and your, uh, your uh, experience in, in managing emergencies. And then once you get in there, be an advocate. Be, a, uh, be an advocate for the profession of emergency management. Uh, again, stick to your principles, but, but don't die on that hill. Try to, try to fit in as well to the corporate culture as you can, knowing that you bring value to that organization.
1: Well, that certainly sounds like somebody who knows how to survive and fight the good fight in the corporate world for sure. I really liked his comment about being a chameleon and sneaking EM practices in with more acceptable business initiatives and priorities. I think this is likely something that all emergency managers, public or private sector, can relate to taking advantage of that small window of opportunity wherever you can, and being flexible with the content and delivery, but not the principle. It can be hard at times to demonstrate our worth. I'm often reminded of a talk I attended years ago from the head of uh, business continuity at Hershey's, who said their CEO was famous for making the point that if you're not making chocolate, you're overhead, i.e., you better
0: make your value proposition clear. I think most emergency managers can also relate to that concept of role ambiguity uh, and not quite knowing how to explain what it is that you actually do. And this is really important, especially to me. I can definitely speak from experience that it was actually quite stressful moving from a well-defined role where I was a paramedic and sort of knew what my job was and and everyone could in some way relate to that, to disaster management where it's quite complex and ever-evolving and ever-changing. And, you know, he mentioned that this may be particularly pronounced in corporate emergency management, but I think it's likely the case in the public sector, too. You know, so many municipal emergency management jobs are just vague. The hiring committee has no idea what they're looking for. And sometimes there are things rolled into the job that are loosely related or completely unrelated, like things like bylaw or events management or something. Mm-hmm. And it's so oh difficult. <laughs> oh and Yeah, absolutely. And it's just so <laughs> difficult to focus on disaster management and preparedness that's right
1: some food for thought and definitely some great advice to get in where you fit in so taylor who else did you have a chance to speak with
2: so i had the opportunity to talk to mega so from hydro one and she has found like a lot of great success um with inter or implementing um metrics into her systems that she uses and she was able to provide the podcast some great insight about how to start um, with metrics as with your emergency management, either at a private company or at a municipality.
1: Well, that certainly sounds like somebody who speaks my language. Show me the data. (laughs) Let's take a listen to the interview with Magda Solzicki on her talk entitled, Emergency Management Performance Metrics.
5: Hi, uh, my name is Magda Solzicki. I'm the Supervisor of Great Emergency Management at Toronto Hydro. In my role, I oversee the Disaster Preparedness Management Program, which is comprised of business continuity, emergency management, and crisis management for the company. On top of all that, I also teach part-time at York University in the undergraduate program, where I'm teaching business continuity as well. So today's topic that I discussed at the DemCon conference was performance management in emergency management and how we can apply some of the principles that we see in performance management in uh, our field uh, of managing emergency and business continuity programs. So the point that I really wanted to hit home with people is it's really important for us to always be able to very clearly understand the value it is that we're delivering to uh, the companies or organizations that we're working for. And uh, for me personally, uh, I spent a long time trying to discover what it was that I brought in terms of value to the companies that I've worked for in the past and currently work for. And the major thing that I could always think of was that as an emergency manager or business continuity professional, my goal and our goal arguably is to build resiliency within the companies and organizations that we work for. And how we do that can differ depending on the company we work for. Um, But ultimately, we always have to find a way to Uh, ensure that the things that we're doing, the efforts that we're making, align to the overall vision and mission and goals of the organization itself so that uh, when people are investing in our programs and investing in the growth of our programs, uh, it all aligns to the big picture uh, that they're trying to achieve as well. Um, So performance management uh, can be broken down into a number of different areas, but the way that I've applied it here is uh, specifically around the area of key performance indicators, so KPIs. And actually, if you look at a lot of our industry standards, so the CSAs at 1600 or the ISO standards, a lot of those standards call for us to implement KPIs as part of our programs. So KPIs are, um, think of them as like the scale that you step on to see exactly where you stand with respect to your your program weight, so to speak. So um, they are the indicator of the health or lack of health of our our programs. And so KPIs or indicators can be uh, one of two things. They can be either leading or lagging. So a leading indicator is something that gives us an idea of uh, where we stand relative to uh, kind of the before picture. So before we experience an event, how healthy are we, so to speak, as a, as a program? And a lagging indicator is something that you use after the fact, after you experience something, to see how well it went. So um, let's kind of use the example of an athlete. A leading indicator could be the athlete's number of times that that athlete is performing um, uh, certain exercises or the capability of the weight that they can lift on a barbell or the speed with which they can run, um, you know, a particular distance. But ultimately, the lagging indicators tells you how they did in the race or how they did in the competition. So, um, the main area that we were looking at was developing those leading and lagging indicators for emergency management programs and business continuity programs. And we ended up distilling uh, it down into a couple different categories for ourselves. So, the leading indicators that we look at in our program at Toronto Hydro are how ready are our people to respond to an emergency? How ready are our systems, facilities, and materials to respond to an emergency? Um, How often and uh, effectively are we engaging with stakeholders to establish and maintain important relationships that we'll ultimately need during an event to respond effectively? And lastly, how well are we managing our programs? So are we doing it responsibly, methodically, and ultimately using and spending our money well? So the lagging indicators that we look at uh, were derived from um, the New York State uh, Commission for Public Service, I believe, and there are three categories that they propose in, um, in uh, one of their, their publications. Well, the first one is preparation. So how prepared was the organization or the entity? And they're specifically looking at utilities. So how prepared was the utility to uh, sustain um, response to this event? So were they anticipating it properly? Did they know that it could have happened? Did they have the right materials in place? And were there people prepared and trained to do the job? Next was the actual response itself. And it was more so around whether you did a good job, whether you had the right resources on hand, whether you responded safely, and whether you were using the right resources for the problem that you were faced with, among other categories. And then lastly, they were looking at uh, communications. So how effectively and how frequently were you communicating with your stakeholders, your communities, your customers, or whoever was impacted by the event to make sure that they were receiving the information they needed to respond in their own way to the emergency. And lastly, I've added a fourth um, element to this, which was finances. How much money did we spend on it? Because just because we threw all our resources and, and dumped everything on it doesn't necessarily mean we spent our money well. And so it's about throughout the process spending our money responsibly because obviously at the end of the event, we want to still have money left over to invest in other aspects of our community or our company. So we don't want to blow all the money that we have on response and then be left with nothing after the fact for either recovery or building, it, building ourselves back. So those are the two areas that uh, we looked at, and I do want to give credit to, uh, it was Alberta Health Services, and I forget the exact publication, but there was a a graduate student who developed those leading KPIs. Um, So if you look up Alberta Health Services uh, KPIs, you'll probably be able to find actually a much more expansive list of leading KPIs that might be useful for you. Um, so yeah, that's basically what we looked at for measurement uh, and how to measure whether our programs are effective or not.
4: Did you face any major challenges when implementing or using these metric systems?
5: Um, I think the first hurdle you're going to face is whether you are asking the right question. So first and foremost, um, the thing that you have to determine is, uh, overall, am I am I is ultimately the the value that I'm delivering actually resiliency, or does somebody want me to do something else? So. Our assumption at Toronto Hydro is that we are building resiliency, but you want to start at the 50,000-foot level to make sure that you ask the first question uh, correctly. Because ultimately, if you ask any of the wrong questions, you're going to waste a lot of time collecting the wrong data. So um, just validating that, making sure that this is exactly what your employer or organization wants every step of the way, just to make sure you're not digging yourself into a hole that's going to be difficult and cumbersome to come out of later. So start by asking the right question, um, and then it just becomes a function of, Figuring out how you're going to organize yourself, how you're going to collect this data, what your data sources are going to be, how you're going to report on it, um, you know, where you're going to get the data from. There's a lot of, lot of data points that you might have to collect depending on what question you want answered. And in many cases, um, you might not have the data yet. So you might not actually have a good comparison point. So you have to be a little bit patient with it because it may take some time to build up a comprehensive enough data set to make anything meaningful come out of those KPIs. So I would say be patient Um, validate all along the way. And lastly, don't try to take existing data and jam it into answer a question um, that may or may not be relevant. I think a lot of people are very tempted to do that, to say, oh, look, we already have this demographic data, or we already have data from this survey. Can we use it in a particular way? Maybe, but it's probably unlikely. And what I see people doing a lot of the time is they have some kind of an answer, and so they try to create a question for the answer rather than they have a question and then they try to find the answer. So know what it is that you want to find and then ultimately um, try to answer that question by collecting the right data.
4: One last question i really like to end with is a future graduate of an emergency management program, do you just have any advice
5: for me and my fellow students as we're about to enter the workforce? Uh, well, actually, I've been deliberating this myself a lot. Uh, one of the things that I've been thinking about is emergency management in a way is not really an entry-level field. Um, and so I hate to to kind of say that to you know somebody who's entering into the field, but I would really encourage people to become familiar with um, become familiar with an industry, get experience in any kind of industry, particularly in operations, um, so that you can become familiar with how companies or organizations are run, um, you know, what some what are some operational constraints and needs uh, for these various organizations. Um, And just becoming familiar with those frameworks before you can go ahead and start saying, "Okay, um, I'm going to go in and start looking at strategy um, for a company. So I think it's really important to understand how the ground level tactics work, how an organization functions um, just as an entity itself. And then kind of go from there. And once you have some more knowledge and comfort, going into the next level.
0: So I thought this was a great Uh, It really speaks to what I think is kind of a cross-Canada struggle for even the most basic of emergency management programs. How do you show your worth? Emergency management really is this weird job that, you know, the more you do and the more successful you are, the less you feel that you're needed, the less that you can show for it. And in some cases, the more that you feel like that overhead and, and uh, you know, that drain on resources. Despite stats that come out of the UNDRR, like that six to one response to prevention figure, it's still just such a struggle to get organizations to, and governments to invest in prevention and response infrastructure. So showing your continued value when you can't rely on, you know, quote unquote results can be really difficult. And I think that idea of evaluating successes based on program delivery instead of how many disasters did you respond to is a really good way to help build sustainable initiatives.
1: Yeah, I agree. So, Taylor, all in all, it sounds like you had a great experience at a great conference. One final question. As a student, what did you find was the benefit of attending DemCon? What did you get out of it personally?
2: That's a really great question. Um So before this conference, I know I've always been told, like networking, getting to know the faces, but I think this conference in particular for me really drove that home. As a student that's graduating in December, I realized how much further you can get in the network or get into the emergency management via the network system, but really how much you can learn once you're there as well. I don't know what level emergency management would be at if we didn't have these opportunities to really share these ideas and pass them around. I think me personally, DemCon or other like, conferences like DemCon are going to be a huge part of my career going forward.
0: Well, thank you once again. Uh, you represented
1: us really well. And that's all for this episode of Epic Podcast. A big thanks to Taylor Kid milney Vincent Davis, and Magna Solzecki for sharing their time and expertise with us, and to the Ontario DemCon and McGregor Communications team for allowing us to be a part of such an important event. If you attended DemCon this year, drop us a line and share your takeaways. We'd love to keep the conversation going.
0: Just before we go, I do want to take a moment to mention our sponsors uh, for this episode. First off, as a member of the Alberta Podcast Network, we are powered by ATB Financial, which has a great Entrepreneur Centre feature, which you should be aware of. The Entrepreneur Centre offers networking, mentoring, workshops and banking all in one place for entrepreneurs. And there are locations in Calgary, Edmonton, Grand Prairie and Lethbridge that you can visit, as well as some pop-up locations from time to time that show up in, in different locations across Canada. If you want to find out more, you should go to atbentrepreneurscenter.com. This episode was also sponsored by the Alberta Forest Products Association, who has prepared a message for you that we will play right now. If you're an Albertan, chances are you love our forests. With more than 60% of the province covered in them, they're where we play, explore, and work. Over 40,000 Albertans are employed because of our sustainable forestry industry. And before a single tree is harvested, we plan 200 years ahead to ensure healthy forests for years to come. Why? Because you nurture what you love.
2: Learn more at loveabforests.ca
1: You've been listening to an epic podcast production. A proud partner of the International Association of Emergency Managers Canada and member of the Alberta Podcast Network,
0: powered by ETV. As always, Epic Podcasts are designed as a supplementary educational tool for the EM professional on the go, and the views and opinions explored during this podcast do not necessarily represent the agencies or organizations that we or our guests may be a
1: part of. For more information about the show or the people on it, visit our website at epicpodcast.ca or follow us on Twitter at the username epic underscore underscore
0: podcast. Stay tuned for more on the next episode of Epic Podcast, Current Relevant Canadian.